It is impossible for the human mind to fully know everything about God and his ways. And it is impossible for human language to fully describe God and his ways. However, let us be grateful that the Spirit-inspired Bible helps all of those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that will understand, open, open to know God and his ways um, more than anything else. They know, they can know about God and his ways because anything that initiates from us where we try to understand him is doomed to fall short. Now, God's word uses literature, poetry, and art to perfection, to help people to rise above our limited minds and languages to know God, to know God by experiencing his presence, okay? It's not enough to have it in our heads. It's not enough to have the word of God memorized. But through the word in the spirit, we can experience God. We can experience his presence with us and in us. Now, some areas in which God excels in communication are Comparisons, you know, the big literary word they use in college is it's a simile. Or he also uses metaphoric word pictures. He compares and contrasts all the time. Wisdom literature is all about comparison and contrasting. And there's repetition and so much more. But extremely appropriate to today's narrative poetry passage is how God humanizes abstract concepts. A good example of this for people in the United States of America is the gift that France gave to the United States back in 1886. Um, It expresses the human desire for Liberty to be free by a statue of a woman, Lady Liberty, okay? She's modeled after a Roman goddess, and in her right hand, she lifts a torch above her head, and in her left hand, she's holding tablets inscribed with July 4, 1776, in Roman numerals. And then as a tribute to the Emancipation Proclamation signed by Abraham Lincoln some 23 years before this, at her feet is a broken shackles and chains. So I also thought about this and certain songs can act this way. Think about a little girl when somebody does something that is a real blessing to her and she's just so happy, she will sing, you are my sunshine. Now, a person is not sunshine and sunshine's not a person. But that's a device God uses often in scripture. And I thought about this and this is more of a metaphor, but but I really enjoyed early Bruce Springsteen. 
And one of my favorite songs from Born to Run is he's describing life on the mean streets of a city where there's danger and violence, perhaps New York City where he went from time to time, and he called it Jungle Land. Now, like I said, that's kind of a mixed metaphor, but, you know, you think of big, tall skyscrapers and a jungle. God uses these things to to shake us up and to help us to understand him better. So now, turning to the final 112 lines of this, I said last week, this long introduction to Proverbs, we always think of it as these short two-line things. There's nine chapters and hundreds of verses. Well, starting with chapter 8 and going all the way through chapter 9 before these short Proverbs, we get 112 poetic lines given to us about God's wisdom As a person, I'm going to call her Lady Wisdom this morning. The Holy Spirit chose to picture God's wisdom as a woman. And to summarize the 30-line extract that we heard this morning from two portions of chapter 8, we learn four important truths about God's wisdom. Okay, first of all, it's available to all people on earth, good, bad, etc. Secondly, it exhorts people to right living. Thirdly, it has the greatest value of all that God ever created. And fourthly, and I don't want to be a little bit, you know, too persnickety, but I think it says that it's almost eternal. It sprung from God very early on. So putting this all together, we get the person of God's wisdom. So now let's look at the details of our passage. We heard the first 20 poetic lines and then we skipped down. So starting with those first 20 lines, it's all about Lady Wisdom's call. And this divides into two halves. In the first half, we find out that she comes from the heights to the city gates, and she calls all people, including the simple and the foolish. Now, because the poetry is so short, I'm going to go through it word for word, but I'm going to use pretty much my own translation compared with others. So again, here's what the word of God says. Will not she wisdom call and understanding give her voice? So with two rhetorical questions, God uses these um, and he expects our answers will be yes, yes. Now notice here that she wisdom, wisdom's portrayed as a woman, and in addition, in addition to wisdom calling, understanding gives her voice. Now, this is another device of poetry, all poetry, but God initiated it with his word. It's called parallelism. What you've got is two uh, different word pictures, but they line up with each other. So in this case, they both kind of express the same idea, but we have um, wisdom and understanding calling out and giving voice. 
So both of them are calling out and giving their voice, and they're doing it on behalf of God's wisdom. So we've got these two parallel pictures back to the poetry of God. It says, at the head of the heights, by the place of the paths, she has stood. At the side of the gates, at the opening to the city, from the entrance of the door, she cries aloud. So now we have this um, synonyms using three similar images to describe the place where people come in and go out of the city. It's described as a gate, as an opening, as a door. In Lady Wisdom, she has stood in the very highest places, at the crossroads, on the plateau of a place that's above even Mount Zion. She has stood there very close to God. But what I love about her is she hangs out where many people gather to live in the city. She doesn't stay on a high. She comes among us. And then it says, from this entry, Lady Wisdom cries out to summon people. And she says, to you men I will call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Two generations here. Simple ones, you all must understand shrewd prudence. And arrogant fools, you all must understand in the heart. Now, this is a universal call. This is pretty amazing. She begins by calling men, meaning people, people of all generations, fathers and sons, parents and children. Then she gets specific by calling immature and naive people and also people who stubbornly keep making the wrong choices. This really helped me when I went to a Bible dictionary, and it's kind of an ouchie, okay? Because I can be very stubborn. And sometimes, you know, people say to me, how many times, my mother used to say this, how many times are you going to beat your head against the same wall? Ouch, okay. Well, many would assume that Lady Wisdom and maybe even the Covenant God would have no use for stubborn and immature people. But here is the grace of God. In his grace, God welcomes any who will heed wisdom's call. And now the second half of this introduction, she wisdom speaks what is noble, upright, true, and righteous. And then she concludes that her instruction and knowledge exceed even silver and gold in value. Again, let's go through the poetry word for word. You all must hear because noble things I will speak. And the opening of my lips will be uprightness because truth my mouth will utter. So here's a good triad. It just means three things linked together. First, she will say what is princely and excellent. I call that noble. Then secondly, Through the lips of her mouth will come what is straight and upright. Straight up and down, perfectly straight. And thirdly, her mouth will utter truth. And this is truth on which she has meditated. It isn't just off the cuff. Now, 
Another device, as I said, is contrast, right? So then we just get this quick line, a single line, abomination to my lips is wickedness. So she is repulsed by evil. Lady Wisdom declares that evil wickedness and violence are so repulsive to her that they are unspeakable to her, even an abomination. But we must understand this is good. Part of goodness is to rightly judge and deal with wickedness, to shun it or to seek to get rid of it. Now, another contrast coming back. She says, the words of my mouth are righteous, righteous words. And this word righteous is related to the word justice. In other words, her righteous words are arising because she has a strong sense of of justice. God is just and he cannot tolerate injustice. Okay, another contrast again. Nothing in them, meaning her words, is twisted or crooked. She's not crooked. Because she is straight and upright, straight and upright, there is nothing in her that is in any way distorted, twisted, or crooked. And again, this is righteousness. This is goodness. She is good in what she is not. She's not any of these things. And then here's the key, the highlight of this introduction. All her words are straight to the one, to the human, who is living by the gift of understanding and the upright to those who are finding knowledge. So her words are two things, good and upright, to them living by the gift of understanding and finding knowledge. This reminds me of Philippians 2, okay? Remember where it says you are to work out your salvation in fear and trembling? That's human responsibility because it is God who is working in you in order to get us to obey. That's the grace of God. The works flow from the grace of God. They're supported by the grace of God. So here wisdom is using this also by saying people have grace to understand, but in spite of that grace, or because of that grace, really, because of that grace, we have the responsibility to find knowledge. So all the way up to here, everything gives a good description of the person, Lady Wisdom, who represents God's wisdom. So we could call this the person of God's wisdom. And then this introduction concludes, as she says, you all must take my instruction, not silver, and knowledge over choice gold. Now, many people, and I know not everybody is greedy, but many people consider silver to be valuable and gold to be of the greatest worth. But all of us, must heed Lady Wisdom when she 
declares that instruction, and we saw this word last week, instruction involves chastening discipline. It's not with the head. It's with experience. It's with life. It's with real life. And the knowledge, the knowledge that she gives from God is of greater value than what people consider to be of the greatest value. I think that's kind of paradoxical and mind-blowing that there is something greater than what we think is the greatest. And God's wisdom is part of that. This is the person of God's wisdom. Now, let's go down to to 10 lines a little bit later on. Um, These say that wisdom is from the beginning. And and as I thought about all of this and was going on my walks this week, I realized I must complete this with something from the New Testament because this just screams to me the book of Colossians. So we'll look at a few verses about Jesus after this. But first, the triune covenant God possessed lady wisdom from the beginning of the earth. So again, word for word, Yahweh possessed me in the beginning of his way from before his works of antiquity. So we're told here, Yahweh the covenant God possessed Lady Wisdom in the very beginning of his works of creation, the creation of the physical universe. And what's beautiful about this universe, except for human beings who have been given the free will to make decisions, the universe follows. They follow his ways of being and doing. The planets do what they're supposed to do. The galaxies do what they're supposed to do. Coming back to the poem, it says, from eternity I was poured out. From the first, from the beginning of the earth. So again, here's just repetition. Three different words are used to make the point that wisdom came from God. From the earliest of times before the physical universe was created. Now, I had to look up this word poured out because the New American Standard says it could be read, I was consecrated. And this word poured out most often means the pouring out of oil. And actually, when they anointed the priest, they would pour oil into their hands and then put it on the head of the priest. So we could say that wisdom was consecrated by God. And this is just more about the person of God's wisdom. Then she continues, when no depths I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding in water. Now, brought forth, and that's at the beginning of this uh, line here. Brought forth refers often to the pain a mother feels, and especially the writhing pain she has as she's giving birth to a baby. So some translations will say, um, uh, I was born. I was born when there hadn't even been depths created. So this is before the shaping creation, okay? 
God spoke and everything came into being, but then we're told that the earth was originally still formless and void. And um, this means that the seas hadn't been controlled, the land hadn't been brought forth. That all happened on the second and third day. So we can conclude God, God brought forth wisdom very early on the second day of creation. Wisdom was brought forth before the creation of the world, the world in which we live. She continues on with this theme. Before the mountains had been sunk down, that's the roots of the mountains, before the hills, I was brought forth. Now, this second couplet about creation and wisdom describes the events of the third day. And then the very last words of these four lines of poetry, matching back to the first ones, again has to do with being brought forth. Wisdom was brought forth before the creation of our world. And then she says, by way of conclusion of the lines that we're considering this week, and there's many more about her. Even as he had not made the land, nor the fields, nor the first of the dust of the world. That's kind of why I say almost eternal, okay? All 10 of these lines here in our second poetry passage restate using multiple word pictures of God's act of creation, the basic truth that wisdom is almost co-eternal with God. Lady wisdom may have come forth from God before the instant in time when he spoke all of matter into being and before he had begun to totally shape it. Okay, so with all of this being said about wisdom, you can turn if you want to. I'm going to read three short sections from the last three chapters of Colossians. The treasures of wisdom are in Jesus Christ, including peace and redemption. So if you were to look at Colossians 2, the first three verses, and I'm going to just quickly summarize them and paraphrase them. Paul is praying for people in churches in two cities of Asia Minor, which is the western portion of present-day Turkey, that they may be comforted in their hearts. Their hearts may have comfort as they know by experience the mystery of God and the Father and the Messiah, Christ, in whom are being hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, all wisdom is in Christ Jesus. So we can be about learning more and more about the mystery of the Messiah. And as we do this, we will accumulate spiritual treasures of the greatest value. And wisdom and knowledge of God, knowledge of God and the things of God are two of these great 
treasures. Then secondly, if we go to chapter 3 and we look at verses 15 and 16, here is a command. You all must be letting the peace of God be ruling in your heart and you must be thankful and you must be letting the word of God be dwelling in you abundantly in all wisdom. So here's three things leading up to wisdom. We're told that a heart with peace, with God's peace, peace with God, with thanksgiving to God, and with God's word abundantly dwelling, these will have the wisdom of God's Messiah, King, Jesus Christ. So, Here is something that's a little convicting to me. I know large portions of scripture, at least to paraphrase them. But if we don't have God's word dwelling in us, if we don't take the time to live in God's word and let it live in us, we could be lacking in wisdom in other things. And then finally, here's the application of it all. In chapter 4, Early on, we are told you all must walk or live in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming this season in which you're living, the season of your life, your speech and grace, having been seasoned with salt in order to know how to answer each one. Again, we are to be disciples, making disciples by the grace of God. So wisdom towards those who are not yet in Messiah Christ by grace through faith, that can lead ultimately to their redemption. So those of us who are in Christ, the Messiah King, we must intimately know Lady Wisdom. Now let me just say one thing because back in 1985 and 86, In our fellowship group, we were noticing that certain study Bibles, radio teachers, whatever, were kind of equating wisdom with Jesus. They would read Proverbs 8, and it sounded so much like Jesus, they would say, oh, wisdom is Jesus. And that's not quite true. Wisdom is in Jesus, but it's only part of all that Jesus is. Yes, all of wisdom dwells in Jesus, but so does peace. So does redemption. So do so many more things. So don't make that mistake. Do not equate wisdom with Jesus or vice versa. It's only part of our Savior. But what we have heard this morning from Proverbs and from the New Testament is all about the person of God's wisdom. Let me wrap it up for you in less than a hundred words. God's wisdom is portrayed as a woman from on high who dwells at the city gates and is calling all people, good and bad, Simple and foolish, with straight, true, and righteous words, and giving instruction of exceeding value. Moreover, she was brought forth before the creation of this physical world in which we live. And most importantly, 1,000 years later, God revealed 
that all of her treasures are in Jesus Christ and even more. Peace with God, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, salvation, the person of God's wisdom. Amen.